This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Woodland Hills, help me welcome, give a great big welcome to our great friend, Pastor Alex Hamaya. Thank you, Katie. It's always good to be back at uh, Woodland Hills, be back in Branson. Uh, we got to see uh, my second oldest, uh, oldest boy, who's working at family camp this summer, uh, all day yesterday and day before, and, and it's just always feels like I'm coming home when I come to this church even though I have no idea where I am ever in Branson. Uh, I'm a directional moron. But, but the, the, the way you guys pave the roads is unbelievable. And uh, you can go all four directions on one street and never turn around. Uh, but, but it does feel like coming home. I GPSed it from the landing to the church here this morning, uh, even though I've been coming here for about 15 years. Uh, but, but it feels like coming home. I, we did a series... Uh, and our church that we ended the spring with, I, I don't preach a lot at my church in June and July, but, but in May we ended this series that we called Giants. And, and God used this series to set down in our faith family and, and to set people free from, from all kinds of stuff. And let me, let me just tell you, if, if there's a lesson over the last year, year and a half that we should have learned as the body of Christ is that we should have learned that we can expect a spiritual battle. We, we, we can expect it. We, we are in it. It will be in our faces. And, and until we go home to heaven, it will be in our faces. And if we're going to expect a spiritual battle, if that's the lesson we, we've really learned over the last uh, season of our lives, then here's an idea for the church. Let's fight. Let's fight, right? If we're going to go into a battle, then, then let's gear up for the fight. And, and so I want us to turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. I, I, I preached this for about an hour at my church. And, and, uh, and so that we have a limit here because there's, there's three services. And so uh, you can watch it online later and get the rest of the hour, but I'm going to try to cram it in. So let me just jump from all the pleasantries and all the jokes and all of that to the scripture. Turn in your Bible, 1 Samuel 17. And we're going to dust off this old uh, story the story of David and Goliath, maybe the greatest story uh, or most well-known story in the Old Testament, maybe the greatest well-known story in the whole Bible is the story of David and Goliath. People who don't know God or love God or even know the word of God uh, use the phrase David and Goliath on a regular basis in business or sports or culture. Uh, The world is familiar with this Bible story. And, and here's the note that you and I should make with the world's familiarity with it, is that these Old Testament stories are not just stories. That there are types and shadows in the Old Testament that point to the New Testament, point to the new church era, and point to our lives today. That, that, that we should pay attention to these types and shadows and learn the spiritual lessons. And, and here's a fact that is true about you today. You are not a, a physical being who temporarily experiences the spiritual. You are a spiritual being who will temporarily encounter the physical world. That's what's true about you. And and I need you to know that we are spiritual beings. Who you really are is who you are in your spirit, man. And that's the part of you that's going to live forever and ever and ever. This is a temporary earth suit uh, that that you are trapped in today. And, And one day you will no longer be trapped in it. That's good news, by the way. Good news. As they get fatter and older, right? It's good news that, 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 that we, we're, we're moving on uh, to, to something else. But, but uh, if that's true, then this book is a spiritual book. 
It's not just a story of what happened physically uh, in, in the church and in the bride of Christ. It's a story that, that is supposed to teach us something for the spiritual battle that you and I are, are in. And, and so let's jump. In. Verse 1, First uh, Samuel 17. The Philistines, that's the enemies of the people of God, right? If you're not familiar with the story, now mustered their army for battle. And camps between Succoth and Judah, uh, their capital, right? And, and Azekah at Ephes Damon. And, and Saul, the king of the Israelites, countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley uh, of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites are now facing, facing each other on opposite hills. I want you to envision this in your mind, okay? Uh, with a valley in between uh, them. And so they're camping, the, the Philistines, near Succoth, which is eight miles to the east of Gath, which is their capital city, okay? In fact, we have a map, and let me show it to you. And, and so here's where they are. This is the Philistine camp. And they come into this Israelite camp. Gath is the place mentioned over there with this valley in between them, okay? And so this is what's happening. So the, uh, the enemies of God m- get their troops together and march to this hill on the edge of a valley to come into Israel's land. You follow? Now Israel is going to counter, and so they bring their soldiers and their army to the hill on the other side of the valley with this big valley in between them. And I think that Saul figured out he would whip the Philistines again. He had whipped them many times before, and he thought, this is not going to be a problem. I'll handle them just like I did before. But 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 they come up with something different in this encounter. Okay, so look at verse 4 and watch as this plays out. Then Goliath, everybody say Goliath. A Philistine champion, circle that word champion in your Bible and write out beside it, man in the middle. That's literally what the Hebrew is there. It's not champion like you and I think of champion. The phrase in the Hebrew is a man in the middle. From Gath, circle that word, that comes up later in scripture. It's an important place. Uh, Came out from the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. That's the English translation of that. In the Hebrew, it actually says, write this in your Bible. If yours doesn't say, if yours says nine feet tall, write six cubits in a span, Okay. Uh, because it's important, and I'll come back to that in, in, in a moment as well. Now, look at what it says. He wore a bronze brass, is a better translation there, a brass helmet and his, a brass coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. And so you've got this giant who is over nine feet tall, weighed down with his armor, which scholars estimate weighed about 60 pounds. So he's wearing a middle schooler on him uh, 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 of armor, and he's big and he's bad and he is imposing and he's disrespectful and he's defiant. And again, the English translation is he's a champion. That's not what it says. It says a man in the middle. This was a new form of warfare where, where they would send a man in the middle in that valley in between. He would call out a champion, if you will, or a man in the middle from the other army to come out and the two of them would face off. And whoever was living at the end of this one-on-one battle, the, the whole army would, would take victory on his back. I don't know if you've been around the Bible a lot, but that's a type and shadow uh, uh, of something that happens for you and, and me. And, and here's what I want you to grasp. Same enemy that they had battled over and over and over again, but it looks new and it looks different. There's an application for our world today. It feels like we're facing new things. We're not. It's the same old enemy in a new way. And your enemy will come after you in a new way, in a new way, in a new way. But he will not let up 
And that's the application for you today. Listen, you can't rely on past victories for your victory today. You have to determine day by day by day that I am going to be victorious today because your enemy is determined to take you down today. And Saul is relying on past victories. I've defeated them before. They're no big deal. And, And then he shows up and sees this giant and he doesn't know what to do. Yesterday's victory does not mean it's over. Clearly. Yet yesterday's victory does not mean it's done, clearly. Spoiler alert, in case you don't know the story, uh, it's several thousand years old. David beats Goliath. I'm sorry if I ruined the story for you today. Should have read it before today. He kills him. But, But here's the truth of the matter. David, for the rest of his life, is chasing down giants. One Philistine after another for the rest of his life. This was not a one and done. The battle is over for the rest of his life. He is taking ground that belongs to him, uh, that that is given to him by God. And the same thing is true for you and me. Now, let's go back to verse uh, 6. He wore a brass or bronze leg of armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder, the shaft of his spear. In fact, right out in your Bible in parentheses, there are six items listed here. That's important. I'll come back to it in a minute. Six items listed was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds, right out beside that 600 shekels, okay? We'll we'll come back to that in in a moment as well. Now listen, the Philistines, uh, they they didn't wear helmets like this. This is an unusual thing. This had not occurred uh, before. And he's showing up with this helmet on and all this armor on, and it's pompous is what it is. And it's almost as if he's over-armed and uh, over-protected, and it's like he's on the defense. And here's the application. He, he, it's as if he knows he's supposed to play defense. And your enemy is in the same boat. He knows he's playing defense with you. He knows who you are. He knows who lives in you. And he knows the power that comes with you. He knows that his, his only option is to play defense against you when you take the power that resides within you because of the Holy Spirit and do battle. He knows that greater is he that is in you than he who exists in this world, right? He knows that to be true, but, but, but he has to make a big spectacle of how strong he is and a big pompous display of who he is and how, how, how strong he is, making himself to appear stronger than he really is. Another thing that's really interesting if you're into uh, history, uh, he's only called Goliath in this, in this whole story two times. 27 other times he's just referred to as the Philistine. You know what the application is of that? Who he is and what his name is is not nearly as important as who he's from and what he represents. And and the same thing is true with the enemy in your life. Whatever label he wears or whatever mask he puts on is not nearly as important as the source of that giant and who he is from. We, we, we went into the Valley of Elah uh, several times in, in, in Israel. I don't know if you've been there, but it's a spectacle to see. The first time I went there, we were on our way to the airport to leave Israel for, for the whole trip. We had a couple of buses of people, and I saw the sign. I had just read this story in the Bible, so I knew the name Valley of Eli. Otherwise, it wouldn't have caught my attention. It's just another Hebrew sign uh, you know, in, in uh, Israel. But, but I had read the Bible, knew that it was called the Valley of Eli, where David slew Goliath. And I saw a sign that said, turn left, Valley of Eli. And so I said to the guide, I said, is that the Valley of Eli where David uh, slew Goliath? He said, it is. I said, I've never been there. Let's go. He said, no, we have to, we're on our way to the airport. We're going to miss the flight. I said, we're not going to miss it. We'll catch it. Let's go. I'm a lot like Ted in that regard. 
And why would you be early, right? You may have missed something if you're early. And so we pulled two buses over on the shoulder and we're walking through some Hebrew gardens and people are picking tomatoes and peppers and stuff and like eating it on the way. Then they're better than they are here. It's holy land. It's grown in holy dirt. And, and, and you can see the whole geographic display uh, that, that was there in that day. You see the hill over here. You see the hill over there. And we're standing in the valley. And we walk through a dry creek bed. And, and there's no water in it. But you can see how in the springtime where water would run right through this. And the, the whole creek bed is gravel. And people are, you know, on our trips are reaching down and picking up rocks and sticking them in their pockets. Like, this could be the one. And, and, and our guide in Hebrew tells the whole speech. He goes through the whole speech in Hebrew. And by the way, if you know a little bit about the Hebrew, you're like, is that really what it says? Like this far more crass in Hebrew than it is in English. Far more. And he goes through this whole story and he demonstrates a whole sling thing for us too. He takes the sling and ties it around his wrist, a leather strip with a pouch at the end and another strip. He puts a rock in it and he swings it around and he throws it. it we were so fascinated by what he was able to do with that sling that years later we brought one of those pitching guns and we clocked it coming out of the sling at 240 miles an hour. It's fascinating what, 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 what can happen in that place. And we're standing in that valley. And by the way, while we're in that valley, I looked at the guide and I just kind of one-on-one and I just said, hey, tell me about all these dimensions that are mentioned in this text. What is that all about? He said, you're so American. And uh, I said, thank you. I happen to believe that's a good thing. Still. And... Uh, he said, you Americans, you, you, you want to know all the details, like you learn for knowledge's sake. And, and uh, I said, what do you mean? He said, the first thing you ask when you read this is, what's a cubit? Because you want to try to convert it to feet, and you want to understand the, the, all of the knowledge of it. He said, we Hebrews, were different than that. We want to know the point, and we want to see the picture. And we want to know what God is trying to paint for us. And, and he said the first thing a Hebrew does when they read this scripture is they realize almost immediately there are three sixes mentioned in this text. And the point is, is not who Goliath is and not that he's from Gath. The point is who he's from. He's from the devil. And, and every Hebrew mind would immediately go back to the beginning of this book into Genesis where, where, where the devil was fighting the children of God and coming against the children of God. And they would go, oh, Goliath represents the devil. He's from the devil. The giants are from the devil. That they're from your enemy. By the way, it says his armor is scaled. The only other place I know that Hebrew word is found in the Bible is in the story describing the serpent with scales. Like a serpent. And in this story, he is slayed. He falls face down on his belly like a serpent who would slither in the ground. And then his head is crushed by the one who represents Jesus. Our man in the middle. Just like God said would happen from the descendant of the woman over this serpent. And every Hebrew would go, oh, that's what this story is about. This is application for our lives because we are spiritual beings. It's not just a physical story. It's who he's from and what he represents. And your enemy is real. And he is coming to steal from you. He is coming to destroy you. He is coming to kill you. But Jesus Christ is the one who stands in the middle for you. Let, 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 let's keep reading. And look at what it says. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt. Right out beside that in your Bible, war of words. That's what spiritual warfare is. It's a war of words. That's why the word of God is so important. 
because this war is a war of words. Across to the Israelites, I defy the armies of Israel today. That, that word means to discourage. There's another, one, 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 there's a psalm of David where it says David encouraged himself. It's as if the child of God knew that it was his responsibility to put courage back in himself. It is your responsibility as a child of God on a daily basis. This is why I keep writing devotionals every year, partnering with these pastors. Why? Because I want the children of God in the word of God on a daily basis. You've got to encourage yourself, put courage back in you that comes from the source of all courage, right? And, and the one who gives us all courage. He, he, he's discouraging the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who, who will uh, fight me. Look at what happens. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and they were deeply shaken. He's trash talking the child of God. And they're shaking in their boots. It's working. They're terrified. They're scared. They saw the giant. They ran the other way. It's okay when he's over there in that camp, but now we're standing in front of him and we have to deal with him. They ran. Look at verse 16. For 40 days, 40 days. This is going on over a month. Every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion, the man in the middle, strutted in front of the Israelite army. Forty days this is going on. Morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening. And the application for that for you today is, hey, what are you wasting? And what are you forfeiting? Because you refuse to defy the enemy. And you refuse to take down your giant. What are you wasting and what are you forfeiting? By the way, this was the springtime for them, which means it's farming time, which means they were needed. They were needed in their home. They were needed in their family. They were needed in their economy. They were needed in their culture. But they were content to sit back in a tent in a dust valley with nothing to show for it for 40 days. And let me just say to you today, you're needed. You, you, you are needed in your home. You are needed with your spouse. You are needed with your children. You are needed in this culture. You are needed in your church. And if you're still watching online, get your butt back to church. You are needed. This is not just for you. You are needed for the church, for the body of Christ. You are needed in this culture. And your enemy is trying to convince you that you are not needed. But you are needed. He only made one of you. And he made you in this day for such a time as this for you to impact this culture. Amen. You're needed. They were needed. And they were forfeiting it over and over and over. And I love David here, by the way. I love his response. Nothing's going to stop me. Look, 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 jump to verse uh, 28. But when David's older brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? Weren't you just supposed to bring the biscuits and the cheese? Dad sent you to feed us, the, 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 the real soldiers. Who do you think you are bothering with this? Who do you think you are facing this giant? In fact, it's as if he's saying this giant is really no big deal. He tried to tell him the giant is no big deal. We'll, 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 we can handle it. We can deal with it. But they weren't. We tell ourselves that all the time, don't we? This giant's not a big deal. We tell others that. We allow others to tell us that. This lust thing, I, not a big deal. I can handle it. This pornography thing, I, I, eventually I can get rid of this forever. That was the last time. I don't have a drinking problem. 
I can stop anytime I, I, I want to. This giant is not a big deal. Yet they were wasting their lives in a dusty valley with nothing to show for it. And David knew this moment, just like every moment in our lives, is a big deal. And we must stand and face the giant today. And we must deal with it today. And, and now in the story, we turn and we get to the heart of the story, this climatic part, which we all look forward to in, in, in the movies, right? I'm so driven to the climatic part, right? Like I tell our worship song leaders all the time, just do the bridge. <laughs> just one bridge after another. That's all I want. And they're like, doesn't work that way. I'm like, just bridge to bridge to bridge. Just because just, you're going nowhere with all those other verses. Just give me the emotional part. This is the part in the story we're all looking forward to, this battle where, where, where it is going to play out. Every great movie has it, right? If there's no battle, it's not even called a movie in my mind. It's just chick flick. <laughs> Rocky and Brave, all of them have this great battle that happens. And, and David had his giants, and we have our giants. And, and you should be asking by now, what's a giant? What's he referring to when he says giant? Listen, what I'm referring to when I say giant are the demons in our lives. That we must defy and we must take down as the children of God. We, we must kick them out. We must on a regular basis slay them. And, and as David did, cut off their head. And if we don't, they will control us. And, and we can follow David's example. That's the point of this story. And, and have victory over the giants in our lives. But we got to be ready, willing, and able. That's the three points today. Let, let's deal with them one at a time. Number one, we got to be ready. Go, go back to verse 32, if you will. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I will go fight him. He wasn't worried. He he didn't care what everybody else was saying or doing around him. He just knew he was going to be victorious because he was ready. Now look at Saul, the king's response to uh, David. Don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he has been a killer since his youth, a man of war. I think David is thinking, so am I. You, You don't know who's in me. And what's on me? Go ahead to the next verse if you would. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats when a lion or a bear right out beside that beast of the field. Beast of the field in the scripture are always types and shadows for the demonic in the lives of the children of God. The beast in the field. The beast in the field. Watch. They come to steal a lamb. Do you see the picture? That's exactly what your beast and your enemy does today. Comes to steal a lamb. The lamb of God. The children of God. The brethren. When that happens from my father's flock, it's so obvious when you start paying attention to the types and shadows that are in the story. Go go, go to the next verse. I go after it with a club. I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And don't mistake this as this if David was not afraid. Or or that he could handle these beasts of the field because he was big and imposing. He was young. He was a kid. And and yet he knew who was in him and who was with him. I've been training for this my whole life. Write write this down. That, That being ready means examining your past. We all have things in our past, moments where we've succeeded and had great victories, moments where we failed and, and, and had missteps. And here's the thing. Both of those have shaped you into the person that you are today. And those failures and missteps in your past, listen, they have made you vulnerable to certain giants in the land. And you've got to be honest and truthful about that and repent 
There's a Bible word we don't use very often anymore. You got to repent. You got to change your mind. You got to turn your back. You got to repent of old attitudes and bad mindsets and, and, and failures and, and, and the, the not leaning on God in, in that moment in your life. Repent from it. And through that repentance, gain freedom from giants that you're vulnerable to. Past missteps and failures and hurts, pain. But there's also successes and victories that we all have in our lives, times where we felt like our walk with God was so amazing and our worship was, you know, exceeding and, and, and our prayer life was, was abundant. But, but all of that, regardless, it, our past is just a prelude to the moment that we are in at this moment and, and has gotten us ready for the very moment that we are in today. And, and, but it's how we view our past that's important. Here's the question. Did you learn from it? Did, did, did you grow through it? Are you ready? And, and, and if you don't already, let me just say to you, you, you should journal as part of a spiritual discipline in your life. And before all the men in the room just check out on me on this whole thing, let me just confess to you, I hate it. I don't enjoy it at all. At all. I, 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 my, my wife on a regular basis is like, this is what you do for a living is communicate. Could you communicate with me? When I go buy Hallmark cards, I buy two. So I can write down what the other one says on the one I give her. Because when I try to tell her how I feel, it comes out, I love you, right? I'm like Zach Brown. I got nothing else to say. I said all the words on stage. I got nothing left for you all week long, right? And so I hate journaling. But, but, but here's how I do it. I do it with a five-year journal. And so every page covers five years. Awesome. means I only have to write down two or three lines. But here's the value in it. When I open it, I can see what God was doing in my life five years ago and four years ago and three years ago. I could see what I was facing, what I was dealing with, how God gave me victory. Listen, this is incredibly important in your life, especially when you have victory. To write it down and go back and look at it. Because here's what I know to be true. When you are facing a giant, your enemy wants you to forget every victory you've ever had in your life. And he wants you to remember every failure you've ever had. And he will bring it back with a war of words in your heart and in your mind with a highlight reel of every failure you've ever had in that moment. And part of what you've got to do is examine your real past where God has given you one victory after another. So that you actually have courage. That, that's what makes you ready. In fact, First Peter chapter 4 declares it is a privilege for you to be attacked for your faith. A privilege. And here's what you need to know. God's not only equipped you for the battle you're facing today, he's deemed you worthy for the battle you're facing today. God says, I know you. I'm with you and I'm in you. You got this. Go slay it. By the way, not only has God deemed you worthy, your enemy has deemed you worthy of his time and energy and effort to harass you and chase you and try to take you down. I don't think he knows the future, but he senses potential. He knows who you are. And he's deemed you worthy of that much of his energy and his attention. So, so you got to be ready. Number two, you got to be willing. You got to be willing. And, and what does it mean to be willing? Being willing means that you're trusting God for your future. Look, look, look at verse 37. 
the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, there's the beast of the field again, will rescue me from this Philistine. Earlier in the story, it says every day, right? Every Every day, Goliath would come out, morning and evening. While they were saying their morning prayers, the Shema is what they were praying. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Akkad. The Lord our God is one, and you are to love him with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. With all. And it's during those prayers. Shema means listen or hear. That's the Hebrew word for listen or hear. But it's the same word for obey. There's not a separate concept in Hebrew that if you listen, you obey in the Hebrew mind. That's why Jesus was always saying, give them ears to hear. It wasn't because they were deaf. It was because they weren't obeying. And so in the Hebrew mind, you weren't obeying because you don't hear. But they were hearing, but they weren't obeying. Twice a day, they're saying, you're one, God. You're big, God. You're large and in charge, God. But they wouldn't go face the giant. They weren't willing. The difference between David and Saul was Saul was not willing. David was willing. And I think it's because he, he, David was trusting God. And that's a question you should ask yourself today. Do I really trust God? While David was with the sheep, being faithful, learning from God, David, uh, Saul was slipping back into his old habits and sins. David was bold. When, when, when Saul sat down, David stood up. When Saul ran, David ran forward. He was walking out in faith. David learned something while he was tending sheep. When he took care of the lions and the bears. Again, it wasn't because he wasn't afraid. He overcame his fear because of who was with him. Are you willing to fight? Are you willing to trust God for victory? Do I really trust God is a question you ought to be asking yourself. The idea of putting faith in and on God. Leaning into him when you need him. The enemy wants nothing more than for you to believe the bill of goods that he's been selling you, for you to doubt who he is, for you to doubt who you are, for you to believe this enemy and this giant is too big for you, for you to deal with. His strategy is taunting and belittling. It's a war of words. And, and, and you know it's working, by the way, when the body of Christ turns on the body of Christ. When brother turns on brother. Eliab is now attacking David, brother on brother. And David shows us that we need to be ready, we need to be willing, and thirdly, that, that we need to be able. He was able to face his giant because he was armed. Being able means you know that you are armed now. We have to be ready at any place, at any time, anywhere. And, and the enemy isn't going to wait. He will come after you at your weakest moment. That's just not something he's capable of. It is his M.O., He's not kind. He is evil. And he attacks the weak and he attacks those who are separated from the flock. Saul tries to give him his armor and says, go fight with my armor and my sword. And he says, I can't do that. What's the application? Walk in your gifting. What's your gifting? What has God given you? Walk in that. So so David comes up with this strategy he had perfected over time. You You don't create a strategy in the middle of the battle. You create the strategy ahead of time so that when you come into the battle, you're ready. Look look, look at verse 40, I think. Yeah. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd bag. Uh, I've had people ask me in that valley of Elah, why did he take up five stones? Did he trust God or was he not trusting God? I think he trusted God. You know elsewhere in the scripture it says that Goliath had four brothers. And he didn't know what their reaction was going to be. 
right? When I slay this giant, I think he was trusting God to slay that one giant, but he didn't know that, are they going to charge me or are they going to run away? He, he had a strategy. He was trusting God in the strategy. By the way, the rocks in scripture, right? The rocks cry out. The rocks are a part of praise. The rock, he is the rock of salvation. That's all over Samuel and all over the Old Testament. And, and, and so the types and shadows are unbelievable here. Then, then look what it says. Then only armed with, with the shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Go, Goliath used what? He used brass armor and brass. You know what brass represents in scripture is, is sin and judgment. You remember Daniel when, when, when he had all those visions from heaven and, and those statues were made out of all those different things, right? Clay feet and brass and whatever. Brass represents sin and judgment. But it's also something forged by hand by human hand and human ability. What was David using? He was using leather, stone, and, and uh, a rock, a staff, wooden staff. In other words, things that God made. The application is so obvious. You, you don't depend on your own ability. You depend on God's created strategy. He used weapons that he was familiar with. He had the sling on his hand is what the Bible literally says in the Hebrew. That, what that means is he, they would tie it around their wrist. They always have it with them. Do you remember when Jesus faced off with the devil in the wilderness for 40 days? Types and shadows. Do you remember what he used as his weapon when he faced his man in the middle and his champion? He used the scripture. He used the word. Upon this rock, I will build my life. It is written, it is written, it is written. That's your strategy. In your heart, in your mind, on your lips, at a regular basis so that you could say, it is written. And, and God shows us that's our scripture, that's our strategy. And it seems so simple. We think that can't be it. Right? That can't even be the, the, the strategy. He runs to meet his giant, David does. And, and, and he knew he was going to win. He didn't walk. He didn't tiptoe. He didn't moonwalk out there, right? He wasn't straight. But, but, but he is running into the battle because he knows where he's going and, and, and what he's walking into. And he reaches in his pouch, pulls out the rock, and, and slays the giant. Could, could I get one of the musicians to come and, and, and just to play for me? I'm trying to tie a bow on this whole thing. When, when, when Catherine was... Little and then Eli and then Ben. Lemley came to us. She was a little bit older. She was almost five when she came. But with the, the three young, the three oldest, when they were toddlers, I taught them David's speech. And one day, the first time Meredith realized what I was doing, she came home and Catherine's about two years old. She's standing on the kitchen counter. I said, show mama. And she said, you come to me with a spear and a sword and a javelin, but I come to you with the word of God and I will slay you. And when this two-year-old little baby girl with these golden curls is saying, and I will cut off your head and I will feed your carcass to the birds of the air. My wife is looking at me like, you are crazy. <laughs> and she finished that whole speech. She runs off the counter and dives into my arms and, and just says, I did it. Meredith is like, what are you doing? I said, hey, one day a boy is coming. She's going to remember. You come to me with a spear and a sword and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of our God. You're not even close. I want you to notice that the battle of slaying the giant with that sling is one fraction 
of the length of his speech. The strategy is the word. It's the word of God. And I want to lead you in a prayer declaring truths of the word of God over you today. It's just words. But the words that I've written are crafted around promises from Scripture for believers. By the way, this is only for believers. If you're not a believer here today, we're so glad you're here. And we hope that you will come to accept Christ and know the Lord. We'll have prayer warriors down here after the service. You could come down and just take them by the hand and say, would you pray with me? And they will help you cross that faith line and help you trust Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. But for believers, I want you to hear the promises. And I want you to declare them. And if you're not a believer, just listen to the promises we have as the children of God. Would you stand to your feet? And as you close your eyes, just hold your palms out. And I want to lead the believers in the room, the believers online, the believers in the gathering place today through some promises and through this prayer. Would you just declare after me and say, as God, as my eternal witness, my Savior and my judge, I affirm that I am a child of God who's been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. I confess him as my Lord and my Savior as one completely acknowledging and accepting the finished work of Christ on the cross for my redemption. I now renounce all ancestral and genetic ties. As many generations on both sides of my family, as far back as you need to go, God, I have through the Lord Jesus Christ's own shed blood been redeemed and delivered from the powers of darkness and transformed into the kingdom of God. Therefore, I now cancel out and nullify all demonic power or effect that has been passed down to me by my ancestors. I nullify all ancestral demons, their networks, and any other weapon Satan uses against me. The Lord Jesus Christ came and became a curse for me by dying a death on a tree. I use the authority that's found in him to cancel every curse that has been placed on me with or without my knowledge as God's child covered by the precious blood of Jesus. I cancel, I renounce, I sever, and I nullify every agreement I've made with the enemy or anyone else. Any powers, any gifts, any workings in me that are not from you, God, or pleasing to you, I renounce. I confess that I totally belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I now sit with him in heavenly places. 
I give myself eternally and completely over to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's my desire that my Lord Jesus will have total control over my life. All these things I say and I do in the precious name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And by his absolute power and authority over all things, over all rulers, all authorities, all principalities, and all powers, with a childlike faith, I thank you that it is done in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Would you give him thanks offering today?